We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Monday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined tonight by my lovely, lovely co-host, Steve Prohm, the former head coach at Iowa State and Murray State, and former Pitt star Ashton Gibbs. He's not going to like the fact that I have a West Virginia T-shirt on. Uh, I lost a uh, bet. Lost a bet to Deshaun Butler, uh, my former podcast co-host, so I have to wear this uh, on the show. Uh, we are presented by our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Make sure you download the Bet Rivers iOS app and use that to gamble responsibly. Um, and uh, we have a slow night tonight. It, it wasn't really all that busy, so we're going to talk a little bit of big picture stuff. Uh, we're going to give some gifts to the top nine teams in college basketball this season. And I'm also going to get on my soapbox. I have a little bit of a rant to get out about this NC State ruling and, and what's going on at Oklahoma State. Uh, and we're going to open things up with uh, a little conversation about Kentucky and North Carolina. But first and foremost, Steve, Ashton, gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? How was your weekend? Ashton's was great, right? Because uh, Pittsburgh uh, beat St. John's, right? In the, in, in yep. the garden. So I text him. I'm like, man, I know you're smiling. We couldn't get him on the text. He didn't text back. He must have been running around <laughs> celebrating. I was around, but I heard. I was getting a lot of texts. I was getting calls left and right. Um, you know, that's the second home, the pit, man. Uh, getting a win at MSG is is like nothing else. Yeah. So, no, we're good. Getting ready for Christmas, and Washington plays tomorrow night. So fired up about the uh, the John Riggins autographed jersey Goodman uh, supposedly sent. So thank you. <laughs> How good are you feeling about the the, the WFTs at, at this point right now, Prom? Are, are you good? Are you guys going to make the playoffs? Like, what do we got here? Four out of five. I still think we need to go three and one down the stretch. We got we got Philly on a Tuesday night COVID game, so hopefully uh, we get we got a uh, cable working tomorrow night down here in Kentucky. And so, um, if we can get three out of four, I think we got a chance. Uh, we got to beat Philly tomorrow because they're one of the teams that that we're in the we're, we're in the thick with. Ashton, are you okay with having a, a you know a, a Washington football team fan on the show? I don't know how I feel about it. I'm okay, man. I'm I'm split between. I'm kind of a Steeler fan, man. Being in Pittsburgh, they kind of adopted me as a Steeler Steeler fan. So I'm I'm excited with the way things are going too. All right, so let's talk about North Carolina and Kentucky. It was not a good day to be a North Carolina fan. The final score of that game was 98 to 69. Uh, Kentucky fresh off of a loss to Notre Dame, in which they put up 62 points, almost went for triple digits against a North Carolina squad that we, some of us thought, including myself thought was, uh, 
thought was back and thought had maybe had figured some things out. Um, the biggest issue I think is the defensive end for North Carolina. And, and it just felt like we talked about this on Saturday night with, uh, with Randolph Childress and Jeff Goodman, that there was just no toughness on that North Carolina roster. And so Steve, I want to go to you on this first, because if you have a team, I, I feel like so much of what happens defensively is about having pride and actually winning your one-on-one matchup. And you, you have a roster full of guys that don't take that pride in going out and getting the stops that you need to be able to get like to, to get stops. What, what do you do? How do you fix that? Well, I think the, the elite defensive teams, we talked about this off air. I think they have multiple guys that can keep the ball in front and contain the dribble and that they're versatile enough to switch, whether it's ball screens, uh, dribble handoffs, uh, pin downs. Uh, that's why you, you see those teams like Baylor, who's you know really made themselves elite defensive the last three years. They can really, really guard the ball and stay in front of people. But you obviously you can recruit to it, but I think from day one you've got you've got to build it into your program, building your base, and make sure your team knows that that's what you're going to be accountable for, and that's what's important to you. Ashton, you've been a player at, at a high level. If you, how much of what happens on the defensive end of the floor is about just wanting to wanting to get stops, wanting to guard? I think a lot of it is about um, scheme. A lot of it is about you know, athleticism, but, but so much of being a good defender to me is, is effort and, and actually caring about uh, the pride and getting that stop. Oh, for sure. That's the basis of it is uh, your attitude, your toughness, and just your effort possession by possession defensively. Um, I thought Kentucky, you know, played really well. They just, they simply out toughed UNC. Um, I, I'm a big Oscar Shibway fan. I know you, you have a West Virginia shirt on right now, but <laughs> you know, um, he, he he's doing well for, for Kentucky. I think he just gives them a different type of toughness, um, obviously around the basket, rebounding the ball, but just being a vocal leader in that, you know, secondary in that back line defense. I think he's a really good piece. And then um, perimeter defense, like we said, uh, guarding the ball, keeping guys in front, securing rebounds, contesting shots. Uh, very underrated. That's what Kentucky did. Yeah, I think the glaring stat for me, Steve, um, Kentucky – I'm sorry, North Carolina is 97th on Ken Palm right now in adjusted defensive efficiency, but they rank 350th uh, in defensive turnover rate, which basically means there are only seven teams in college basketball that force turnovers on a fewer number of possessions uh, than they do. That, to me, says it all about what this team is defensively. Yeah, pass, passive. I mean, that, that's, that preaches passivity. And you look at, you know, their two big numbers from the Kentucky game, 53%. Defensive field goal percentage from the three, 54 from the field, and then minus 18 on the glass. You're not meeting, beating any team in the top 25 or any team when you're getting out-rebounded minus 18, uh, unless you're just elite from the three-point line and you do not turn the ball over at all. Yeah, that that's the thing about it to me, right? It, it's not just the, the effort defensively. It's not just, you know, there were plays that people saw where Dar- Dawson Garcia is not diving on the floor, and and – um, severe Wheeler, after we saw him get completely shut out against Notre Dame, got whatever he wanted. He, I mean, he looked like Chris Paul out there. He finished with 26, eight dimes, four steals. Uh, it, it, it was not having the pride and getting that one stop. But the thing that really stood out, Ashton, getting out-rebounded by 18. I don't think a Roy Williams team ever got out-rebounded by 18. I don't think a Roy Williams team ever gave up 17 offensive rebounds in a single game. That's not that that that's where he hung his hat. That's where he he prided himself in was going out and getting all the rebounds. I, I, I asked him about that once. And, and what he basically said was, well, if you get all the rebounds, you get more possessions. And I was like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I see where you're coming from with that. 
Yeah, and that's just toughness. That's just attitude, your your approach to, uh, you know, every possession going into the game. And, you know, like you said, Roy Williams, uh, a typical Roy Williams team, at least, they, they would never get beat up on the boards like that. But um, I think your approach to the game changes. You know, defensively, you can literally make your mark in the first, you know, few minutes just by getting a couple rebounds and, um, just being a little bit more physical than the other team, especially when you're playing on the road. I think Kentucky did a good job of, uh, you know, just they, they they had the crowd was rocking. It was, it was definitely uh, bleeding blue for sure. And um, they took advantage of them. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Steve, with with this Kentucky team and, and kind of what they've been uh, so far this season and where they are now, like where do you where is their outlook? Where do you see them kind of sitting in the in the hierarchy of SEC teams at this point? Well, the one number that sticks out to me from that game, though, too, for Kentucky, and it shows that they're growing and they're knowing how to play together, 20 assists. You know, and if you've got 20 assists, man, you're playing really good basketball, you're sharing, and obviously Carolina, you got them in, in rotation all night. But I would think in the top three, I mean, you look at Alabama, you look at Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, I mean, those four teams right off the bat in the SEC, to me, I think they're – they're possible second second weekend teams in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, I think Kentucky will be in that fold. So in a 14-team league, I think they're in that top, you know, four or five. Arkansas, you know, you got to kind of see how they go. I know Oklahoma beat them uh, a week ago, uh, but probably in that top four or five. But LSU's undefeated. I'm a very, very big fan of Tennessee. Love Alabama. They went over Gonzaga. And then Auburn, you know, Bruce Pearl's team's, you talk about just intensity and playing the right way and competing. So uh, it'll be a fun race in the SEC. Yeah, I, I'm, my concern with them is they've kind of built their team around Oscar Sheway and around having that big fella on the block. But they got a point guard that can't really shoot it. They got a four-man that can't really shoot it. They don't have C.J. Frederick on the floor right now. Um, I can't really figure out how – Damian Collins or Bryce Hopkins or even Jacob Toppin kind of gets in the it, it's just it feels like they tried to build a roster for modern basketball for around one with a bunch of versatile guys and it just it, it's not really working at this point to me does that make sense Ashton no that makes sense I think they're, they're still trying to find their roles um yeah, I, I think it's happening all over college basketball right now still early I think with the transfer rule with you know, obviously freshmen, and then now you talk about COVID outbreaks. I think rhythms, it's going to be a game of rhythm now. Um, can guys stay in shape? Can guys stay fluid um, with, you know, coming off of a couple games, whether they're canceled or whatever the case may be? I think uh, just finding your role, you know, especially with transfers, but at the same time, coming off these COVID outbreaks and these cancellations of games, postponements, can guys stay in rhythm is going to be huge. Yeah, I, I will give them credit on that, is that they were – they got on a plane expecting to play Ohio State, and they got to Vegas, and they were playing North Carolina. And, I, I mean, Steve, you can attest to this, the amount of prep that goes into when, – when you're, when you're going up for a matchup like that, the amount of prep that goes into that kind of a game. Uh, the way that they were able to adjust on the fly makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that most players are probably not sitting there like grinding hours and hours and hours of film beforehand. They're going to watch the clips that uh, that, that coaches kind of cut up for them. But it's still, you're going in expecting one thing, taking on something else, and you come out with a 
point win. Like it, that's that, that's not that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. No, and that shows a lot about obviously what what uh, Calipari does uh, from that standpoint of preparing his guys, but also the focus of his kids to go from you know Lexington out to Vegas, like you said, change opponents. Um, you know, I I was on you know the in the car the other day. I'm listening to Calipari talk about you know, Chris Holtman and him were getting together talking about, you know, what they were going to do for the state of Kentucky with the tornadoes and how they were going to really, you know, help this game to, to bring more awareness and, uh, and raise more funds. And then the next day you find out they're not playing Ohio state. And so obviously prep work is, is huge. Um, but they've got guys like severe Wheeler that's been through it, Oscar Sheboy that's been through it. And, you know, they were ready to go and, you know, it may have been different if they didn't throw North Carolina in front of them, you know, but, they did, and, and they took care of business. And they needed that win, especially after the Notre Dame game. Yeah, you mentioned COVID cancellations, Ashton. You mentioned Coach Calipari talking about trying to find a way to uh, to um, support the the victims of the, the tornadoes that went through Kentucky last week. So I just want to give some a quick shout-out to him. You know, he they lost the, the Louisville game, and we, we lost that Louisville rivalry, which is not going to be a great thing for college basketball, uh, losing matchups like that. But – uh, they were able to schedule, I think it's Western Kentucky Wednesday at six o'clock with all of the funds going to tornado relief, I believe is, is what's happening there. So, I mean, that's, you're, you're down there. How, like how, how bad is it down there right now, Steve? Uh, it's bad. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're blessed as a family. Um, I mean, literally 500 yards to a thousand yards away. It, it, it looks like a war zone to where things are just, people are devastated. My son's classmates, you know, have situations where their homes, you know, are devastated. I coach first grade basketball right now, coaching my little guy, the guy I coach with, his his house, you know, blown away, his wife's car blown away. And so uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, 20 minutes away, you know, factory broke down. One of my wife's, you know, former students and friends passed away in there. So uh, that's the one thing about Calipari. He's, he's always trying to help people. Uh, when you look at uh, the John McClendon Fund, uh, that he started uh, that's a lot uh, touching a lot of different universities, you know, and then also just what he's doing for the state of Kentucky right now. So, um, you know, big credit to him. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done stuff like this before they had the big uh, the, the, there was a fundraiser for the hurricane or for the, the earthquake in Haiti before there's been a number of other situations where he's um, been able to go in and, and raise money pe- for people. So, well, we'll, we'll take our shots at, at coach Cal and the university of Kentucky on, on this show and <laughs> well, anybody else, but uh, you can't, you can't take away from what he was, he's doing. And uh, you know, hopefully they'll be able to f- provide some funds that can help some people get back on their feet uh, for that situation. So um, let's pivot. Let, let, let's get off of North Carolina and head over to NC state. Before we do, I just want to want to remind everyone, if you're watching this show right now, on the main field of 68 channel. Uh, We have a link in the description of this post on YouTube right now for the field of 68 after dark channel Uh, coming in the new year. We are going to be pivoting a lot of our content specifically over to the field of 68 after dark channel. We're trying to get that one going a little bit. So if you can go subscribe there as well, uh, eventually this content is only going to be on that channel itself. So NC state today got its ruling from the uh, the NCAA, I guess the IARP. Uh, I don't I don't remember what that actually stood for. I was just assuming it stood for I am really pissed uh, for the for the NCAA coming up with this um, this new uh, this new process to handle what they call complex cases. Um, and essentially, they got like a slap on the wrist. 
Uh, Mark Gottfried got a one-year show cause, which I don't even know has any impact if he's currently employed. Um, Orlando Early, who was his assistant at the time, it kind of got thrown under the bus a little bit, ended up getting a six-year show cause. Uh, NC State got some fines and some penalties and some recruiting violations and whatever, but they are not going to end up having a postseason ban. I'm not sure that would have made much difference this season, but they uh, they kind of got away pretty pretty easy. Uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that this is all things considered probably the best case scenario. When you basically get caught paying a recruit for that. What was it? Forty six thousand six hundred and eighty one dollars. So um, I don't know if you guys either of you have uh, any kind of take on this or an opinion on this, but um, it, it seems like they kind of got away. Uh, Pretty good, all things considered. I'll, I'll jump in there first. If I'm Mike Boyton, I'm upset, you know, rightfully so. Uh, you know, kind of flip gears. Um, I mean, when you look at the Oklahoma State situation, NC State situation, obviously uh, I would think the penalties would have been a little bit different uh, from that standpoint. So from Mike's standpoint, who's a friend of mine, you know, obviously he's probably even more frustrated tonight. Um, you know, and then number two, um, on a, looking at it from another angle, if you're Kevin Keats, if you're those NC State players, I think now you can put it all behind you, recruiting uh, these players that are in the program right now, Coach Keats and his staff, they know it's behind them. They know they have postseason in front of them if they can put themselves in position to make the tournament, and they don't have to worry about all these distractions currently and in the future with recruiting. Yeah, I, think yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100%. Now you can, if you're Coach Kevin Keats, you can just, you know, kind of worry about what's that task in front of you. Uh, when you think about it, Dennis Smith is, you know, hanging on in the NBA right now. So um, he's, you know, th this is years past, and now they can kind of control their own destiny, NC State that is. But I know somebody like Mike Boyan is definitely, you know, uh, upset with the way the ruling has gone for Oklahoma State compared to NC State right now. I mean, if anything, what this has taught us is that you just never cooperate with the NCAA. Never give them anything that they want. Use whatever funds your school is going to give you to fight tooth and nail, right? Don't give up anything. Just fight everything. That's, that's what we've learned from this. Uh, because the schools that have kind of conceded something are the schools that have gotten hit with stuff. Oklahoma State cooperated. Oklahoma State opened their books and said, hey, we got nothing to hide. And they are the ones that got hit with the one-year postseason ban uh, more than four years after these violations came to light and more than five or six years after these violations were actually committed. So the thing that really pisses me off about all of this is that NC State in this situation actually cheated, right? They actually broke NCAA rules to gain a competitive advantage. They, uh, they got caught paying 40000 46000 whatever it was, a lot of money to Dennis Smith to get his recruitment, to get him onto campus, to help him go 15 and 17 overall and four and 14 in the ACC in the one year uh, that he was with the program. What happened at Oklahoma state was entirely different. And it's not, I, I, I want to stress this. It was not cheating. The definition of cheating is breaking the rules to gain a competitive advantage. What happened was Lamont Evans, a rogue assistant coach accepted bribes to try to peddle influence over players that trusted them to get them when they turned pro to sign with a financial advisor that had been caught embezzling money. He stole $2.35 million from uh, professional athletes. The reason why this became an FBI thing is because he got caught by the SEC. He flipped. He said, I can give you all of college basketball. 
And what he did was he started trying to bribe these coaches to get them to give money to players, to get them to sign with him so that he could get the coaches and the programs in trouble so he could blow up the NCAA to try to keep himself from having to go to jail. So you ended up with these assistant coaches ending up doing time in prison while the guy that was the mastermind behind all of this uh, didn't do any time. There was no cheating involved. The only violation that Oklahoma State committed that broke NCAA rules was Lamont Evans gave $300 to Jeffrey Carroll. Jeffrey Carroll sat out three games. Steve, you can attest. If you get $300 you're not supposed to get as a college athlete, three games is a pretty standard punishment for them, right? Yeah, that, that, that's about right. Um, Jeffrey Carroll was actually the victim of a man that did time in federal prison that accepted bribes, tried to peddle influence to get them to go somewhere that uh, to get them to go use a financial advisor that had been convicted of stealing money from people. So um, the fact that Oklahoma state who cooperated with the NCAA is the only one that is dealing with these current issues that is, is dealing with the postseason ban five years after the fact is patently unfair. And one of the worst rulings I think the NCAA has ever put out in a series of really bad rulings. Um, and the thing that makes me the angriest that just drives me crazy is that they came out with this ruling like five days before the season started. Musa Cisse transferred into the program with the expectation of being able to play this year because he was eligible immediately after transferring out of Memphis. He wasn't the only transfer that came into this program with the expectation of being able to play immediately. There, there are kids on this team that were in middle school when these violations were committed. There were kids on this team that probably weren't even aware that any of this stuff had happened in the past because they were like 15 years old when the FBI raided all of these offices. So the idea that you are going to punish them after school has started, after they transferred into the program, after they got their immediate eligibility, after they had already started practicing and going to classes for months, it's just ludicrous, especially when the people that actually got caught cheating are not getting postseason bans. It's just none of it makes sense. None of it is, is consistent. And it just feels like you're throwing darts at a dartboard and, and, and just guessing at what the punishment should end up being. But the bottom line is this, never, ever, 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 ever cooperate with the NCAA if they're investigating something. All right. I'm off my soapbox. I'm off my soapbox. I feel better now, though. I had to get that ran out. And you didn't take a breath, man. That was impressive. <laughs> yeah. Do we have anything else you want to add on this, or can we just move on to something that's a little bit more cheerful than talking about how the NCAA sucks? Yeah, just – uh, let's let's move on to something a little bit more cheerful. But but for Kevin Keats, so I, I think giving them direction going forward is huge for them and their program. Yeah, I mean the weight of having things like this hanging over the program is uh, as bad as the actual violations themselves. Because anybody recruiting against you is just going to say, "Hey, they're not going to be in the postseason this year, even if it takes 17 years." for these violations to actually, or the, the sanctions to actually be given. But uh, the way that we're going to wrap this show up tonight is we're going to do a little bit of uh, giving out some, some holiday gifts, Christmas gifts, some Hanukkah gifts, some, uh, some, some whatever gifts, whatever holidays that you end up celebrating. We, uh, we broke down the top nine teams according to our expert opinions. Um, and we're just going to talk a little bit about what we would give each one of these teams if we were able to make them just, you know, that much better, just a little bit better. So uh, we're going to start with Baylor, number one team in the country, rightfully the number one team in the country, the reigning, reigning national champions. Uh, they just went into Oregon and beat up on Oregon. They're coming off of a 21-point win over Villanova, who we will talk about as well. And Steve, you coach in the Big 12. You know Scott Drew. You know this program. 
what could you give them as a Christmas gift that would make them better? Is there anything that we can give them that would make this team better than they are? Man, they ought to be they ought to be Santa Claus and they ought to be like the elf on the <laughs> shelf. And they, they need to be giving stuff to everybody as good as they've been the last three years and during his time there. But, you know, 55 points a game they're giving up. But if I had to kind of pick them apart, um, can Meyer and Flagler, can, can we get them so a little bit more? They have the green light, but can their percentages raise, you know, as we go on into conference play and get them kind of mid-30s? from that standpoint. And then the number two thing I would say is a consistent home crowd, sellout crowd. I know you said the Villanova crowd was, was into it and the energy was phenomenal. If they can have that kind of purpose and energy and sellout crowds the rest of the way in, in Waco, it's going to be a tough ticket. Cause if you're trying to win the regular season championship, you got to take care of home for sure. And that means go nine and zero, And then you've got to try to go, in that league, five and four, six and three on the road. Yep. And that's never an easy thing to do when you know you're going to be playing eight on five whenever you head over to uh to Fog Allen Field House. Ashton, what are you giving uh what are you giving Baylor? I, so I, I like hard. how you I like you notice that I, I make a joke about Big 12 refs in, in uh in Fog Allen to see just as one of these. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what would you give Ashton? Uh, it, I mean, it's hard to nitpick with Baylor in general, but uh, I, I had to choose a, a backup point guard if I had to choose anything. And the only reason I say that is James Akinjo, obviously big time playmaker, makes plays, gets into the lane whenever he wants. Um, just as a secondary guard, LJ Cryer is more of a scorer. Um, so, you know, you take out Akinjo, now you have guys like Meyer that can make plays for sure, but I just think from the point guard perspective, from that position, just having a backup would, you know, would, would do them well. But in general, I think they're they're the top of the top right now. You know, everybody's looking up at Baylor. So, um, but if I had to nitpick, I would just say a backup point guard, if anything. Yeah, I had that written down as well. Just give them another creator offensively, another person that can kind of create that first action and get in the lane. The other thing I'd written down is I would I would add another two inches to their their backcourt. I would make them a little bit taller. You know the the one thing about their guards. Look, I'm, Akinjo, I had him as a first team All American in the preseason. I love LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler. I love his story. I think that dude shoots the hell out of it when he's on. He was a uh, I think he was five for six um, in the first half at Oregon. He single handedly kept them he in, kept that them in it. Yeah, they were they were, they almost got their doors blown off, and and he kind of caught fire and kept them in it. But they're all little. They're all like six one and. If you look at some of the other teams at the top of the country right now, whether it is someone like an Arizona or a Duke or even a Gonzaga or a Houston, they have a lot of big physical backcourts. And I do think that there is a little room to be concerned about whether or not, I mean, look, those guys are tough as hell. Like James, James Akinjo is a fighter, man. Like I, I want that guy in my corner 10 times out of 10, but when you're six foot and you're going up against six foot four, powerful 230 pound Trevor Keels, you know, there's, there's only so much, uh, that you're going to end up being able to do. So that's, to me, that's the big thing. Is like, I, I would just want their guards to be a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger, um, if that makes sense. Am I off there? No, I mean, I think size and length, and we haven't, we're going to touch on Arizona. I think that's what makes them so effective when you look at their size and length. But I think length on the perimeter and size for both things, defensively and offensively. So let's go straight to Arizona then, because for me, this was the toughest one to try to find 
uh, a, a flaw with. There's something that I would just specifically say you need to improve. And, and, and as I kind of think about each of these teams and going through this exercise, I do feel like they might be uh, the most complete team in the country. The one thing, the first thing that I would do with Arizona, though, is I would give everybody a pronunciation guide because those, they, they got some difficult names to say on that roster. And, and look, I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm not great when it comes to pronouncing names. But the fact that D- Dalen Terry's name is Dalen and not Dallin, when we have like Dallin Cuff out here, like I, I, there's that that is the one that I was kind of like, all right, I just give up. I can't. I'm never going to be able to pronounce anybody on Arizona's name. So Ashton, we're going to you first on this one. What are you giving Arizona for Christmas? That's not a pronunciation guy. So this was my by far the toughest one for me. I I simply just said health. If they stay healthy, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the Final Four to me. Uh, from top to bottom, Ben Matherin to Christian Coloco, like top to bottom, I think, you know, it's hands down Baylor and Arizona, I think two of the best teams. Um, I simply just said health. And uh, I would just say the crowd, just making sure they get as many sellouts, as many as many sellouts as possible at home. So just that home, home court advantage, um, consistent home court advantage, consistent sellouts. And then just staying healthy. If they stay healthy, I think the sky's the limit for them. They could, they should easily be in the final four to me. Yeah. What do you got, Steve? I think number one, great success on the road. Six of their next eights on the road. So as good as they are, playing on the road in college basketball is not easy. So I think just the focus, uh, especially their first road trip, it's at UCLA, at USC. They go to Tennessee next uh, Wednesday. They go to Tennessee Wednesday. So I think focus and toughness on the road to start start this new year. And then number two, to be able to continue to be good defensively so they can play in transition and people can't slow them down and get them stuck in a half-court game. Yeah, so the one that I had written down um, was give uh, Azulis Tubelis about like a 10 to 12-point bump in his three-point shooting. He shot 31% from three last year. He's down to 22% this year. And I think so much of what they do um is i mean it's basically what gonzaga was last season tommy lloyd coming from mark few that's not surprising at all but so much of what they do is built around kind of four round one with getting the big fellow touches inside whether it's coloco or marvalo and i think having a four man that is going to make it so that you have to guard him on the perimeter instead of being a guy where it's like yeah we'll live with that shot changes a lot of things for what they can be um on that end but to tell you like the 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 only thing that I think that they can improve on is getting their four man to shoot what he shot last year from three is a pretty good sign for where this group is. The other concern I have, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Same thing with Baylor. Like, do they have enough creativity offensively? I love Kirk Risa, uh, but like, do they have a backup point guard that we trust? I mean, D- Dalen Terry can kind of create, but he's not like, he's not an on the ball kind of a guy. Like am I, is that, is that something that we should be looking at as well? I think the teams that when you look at them, I'm not sorry to cut you off, Ashton, there, but um, their strength, their team, I think, is the is the big wings in the front court. You know, yeah. the guard play is where if you're if you're going to pick them apart, the guard play. When you talk to people that have played them or teams that study them or, or watch them a lot, the guard play is what they're there's that's the one piece you can kind of nitpick, uh, and that you got to get them to be consistent and be good. You know, Dalen Terry, he's got 42 assists on the year, only nine turnovers. But, you know, Kier from George Mason, the transfer uh, from Georgia, George Mason, Georgia to Arizona, you know, those guys got to step up as as well as Caruso. 
Yeah, I agree. They're similar to Baylor in that sense of, you know, if one guy, you know, gets in foul trouble, gets injured, anything happens. Um, I, I like Creasa a lot. Obviously, Ben Matherin. Um, they have, you know, Justin Kyer is really good as well. But um, that's their Achilles heel. They, I agree with you, Rob, in terms of definitely having a backup playmaker at the point guard position that could really set the table. And you know how the game kind of slows down going into conference season even in the NCAA tournament um, where it's more half court sets and really, you know, late shot clock, can you really get a good shot? So um, I I think that's a really good point. All right, let's stick in the Pac-12 for this next one. Uh, We're going to go to Los Angeles. We're going to talk a little bit about UCLA. Uh, The Pac-12 is weird, man. It feels like they have three teams that might be good enough to win national titles. And then nine teams that I don't even know, like they they might not be good enough to, uh, to make the NIT this season. Uh, but I do think that UCLA is probably the most interesting one. They're coming off of a run to last year to the final four Two, I think that they have more overall talent on their roster than USC. So we're going to start uh, with the Bruins, Steve, I'm going to you first on this one, other than negative COVID tests, what would you give uh, UCLA at this point in the season? Yeah, I, I, I had down number one, I had a couple of things, health, you know, obviously from the coaching staff to the players with, with COVID from that standpoint. But I, I think Cody Riley, you know, a healthy Cody Riley, they got to get it back, him back in the fold and get him healthy. I think he's a big, big key for them. Uh, good shot selection at times, consistent shot selection uh, to where they're not, you know, it, with quick shots, putting themselves in transition defense a lot. And then the other two big things, Tiger Campbell, you know, to keep the three-point shot, to keep his shot at a high, high level, and then Juzang and Jaquez getting back to where they were at the end of the year last year when they were playing the NCAA tournament as high as, you know, as anybody, you know. Those are the couple little for them. Yeah, where are you at, Ashton? Uh, the couple I had just making good decisions offensively, taking good shots uh, consistently you know, throughout the season. And then um, a skill for man. I think they're missing that Azulas, Tabellis, that Matthew Mayer, that type of guy that can go inside out, that can create plays uh, from that four position, whether it's at the top of the key, the elbow, um, or you could just throw him the ball, you know, around that foul line area and he can kind of make plays for himself or others. Yeah, I, I do like, I think Hawkes can do well in that role um, at times. I actually think that Hawkes, when he is on his game, I think he's their uh, their best player. I know it's a hot take to say that someone's better than Johnny Juzang on that roster, but I love Jaime Hawkes. And it's not just because he's got great flow um, and great facial hair. I just think the dude is a hell of a player and a tough kid. Uh, I, I think the first one that you said, Steve, was the one that kind of hits the nail on the head. Sean Miller does some of the late-night shows with us, and they have a podcast on, on the field of 68. And what obviously he was at Arizona last year. And one thing that he has consistently harped on this entire season to the point where I'm like, okay, we, Sean, we get it. We get it. Is it is saying that they don't, that UCLA doesn't have Cody Riley healthy right now. Um, and his point is basically he's the one guy on that roster that you could throw the ball into on the block and know you're going to get some kind of a good shot, whether it's a, a layup or a, or a, a jump hook or drawing a foul and get to the free throw, whatever it is, you throw the ball to, to Cody Riley on the block and good things are going to happen. And that just kind of, I mean, you guys can attest to this. When you have someone that kind of a threat in the post, it brings a little different dynamic to what you do on the defensive end. So I, I, I think it's just getting Cody Riley back. It, it really kind of changes things for him. 
and a win over Arizona to start conference play because it's a home game. That's a huge game. Is that the only time that they play? Let me let me bring up that schedule. I don't think so. I think I looked. I, I you know, um, I could be wrong, but but they no, need to get. They one. play. They play in February too, which is good. We we need some kind of law. Like if I was if I ever run for public office, one of the things that's going to be on my platform is that Arizona and UCLA have to play each other twice every single season. That's that that's good, right? That's no, great. Sure. And, you, and you get the UConn gear larger. You yeah, get that, you know, and you'll be good. Ashley, I came on the other day. I got a I got a Yukon um a, a Yukon half zip and I ordered it from the store and I got an XL and the thing is like the size of a small and I tried to put it on and surprise with the show and it looked like I'm wearing a bicycle uh rider outfit. It was <laughs> it's nice though, nice, nice gear though. It was really nice. nice. A little snug. It's a little. Snug. I need to drop. I need to drop like another twenty five pounds to be able to fit in that thing. But hey, um, all right. What, what, I, I forgot we were talking. Who, who are we on UCLA, now? UCLA, Cody Riley, UCLA, Cody Riley, and then the Arizona beating Arizona. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're moving on. Then uh, we talked about UCLA enough. Let's talk about Gonzaga now. Another team on the West Coast. Uh, they are nine and two on the season. There was a while where we thought they were going to have a chance to to run through everything undefeated. Uh, they are now heading into the meat of their schedule, which means it's going to be a lot of WCC opponents. Uh, BYU is good. San Francisco is good. St. Mary's is good. We might see a four-bid WCC this year, uh, but it's going to be very different than playing some of the best teams in the country. So, Ashton, I'm going to go to you first on this one. What are you giving Gonzaga for Christmas? Um, so, s- simply shooting. It's, it's as simple as that. Just making shots at a, at a higher clip. Uh, Three-point Three-point shooting in particular, um, they're shooting 34% right now from the three, you know, uh, 69 from the free throw line. So I think consistent shooting uh, from the outside at the end of the day, that's what the, you know, that's the name of the game. And then uh, I think they need Andrew Nimhart to really step up and uh, be a vocal point from a scoring aspect. I think he can easily be one of the top guards in the country. But he's doing a good job of facilitating. I think he needs to look for a shot a lot more uh, because he's capable of it. And he makes good decisions more times than not. Um, he, he's a really good guard and obviously proven veteran guard for them. I think he just needs to step up and just, you know, look to score a bit more. Steve, where are you at? I think number one, and they've done a great job with this over the years, but uh, you know, Gonzaga's got some new guys in the program this year or guys playing bigger roles, but being focused on the road because this is probably as good of a West Coast conference that they've played in, you know, from, from the outside looking in. I mean, they know better than us, but when you look at BYU, when you look at St. Mary's, when you look at San Francisco, Santa Clara, even Loyola Marymount, their focus has got to be unbelievable on the road um, because those guys, they've all played, played Texas, Texas Tech. UCLA, Duke, Bama, you know, and now you're going into conference play where if they want to be a one seed or a two seed, they can't slip up. You know, you got to stay the course with that. So I think that focus and Ashton just touched on it. Nemhard has to be big in the biggest moments in their two losses. He's averaged five points. So Nemhard for him to be big when it matters the most to be able to score, to be able to lead, to be able to direct and really run that basketball team. And the last thing would be, to have that bench grow up, Salas and Hickman and even Watson, you know, they're averaging a decent amount of minutes, but they've played some really good teams and they've played uh, their fair share of bye games where those minutes can get inflated a little bit. 
but can conference play help those guys, you know, really get get going because they're going to need them later in the season. Yeah, the, the NEM hard point I, – I had three things written down. The NEM hard point was um, absolutely one of them. The, the two best teams that Gonzaga has had the two times they've made it to a national title game, they had a first-team All-American point guard leading the way, whether it was Nigel Williams-Goss or, or Jalen Suggs. And I think that when you look at Andrew Nemhard, he's pretty much a carbon copy of what Nigel was when he was in, uh, when he was in um, college. So I, I absolutely 100% agree on Nemhard. Uh, Nolan Hickman as well. That was the other one I had written down. I think he's the most dynamic guard that they have. I mean, he was a, they they have two McDonald's all Americans. I think uh, Hickman was like a top 20 recruit. I think Salas was top 10 coming off their bench right now, which kind of sums up what this Gonzaga team and Gonzaga program is right now. But I think they got to get those guys to the point where they're consistently uh, popping off for, you know, a combined like 18 to 25 points per game off of the bench. I think that brings another uh, layer to them. But the biggest one for me is you, you got to add like 50, 60, 70 pounds to Chet Holmgren. My biggest concern with this group, uh, if you look at all of the other really good teams in college basketball, there are so many big physical low post presences, whether it's someone like a Zach Eady or, um, or someone like a Paolo Bancaro and Mark Williams or someone like a David McCormick. Just, there's so many big low post players that I think you can kind of run into a little bit of an issue with a mismatch there because I, I don't think – Drew Timmy is a great defensive presence. And as much as I love Chet Holmgren as a rim protector, I don't think that you want him trying to guard some of those big physical bodies uh, on the block one-on-one. I just don't think that's a great matchup for him. So that's, that's what I would say is to get, get Chet to the point where he can guard someone like a, a Kofi Coburn one-on-one and kind of hold his own in the post. Cause I don't think you want him. I love him as a weak side defender. I don't know if I love him as someone trying to defend on the perimeter. We got anything else on, on Gonzaga to add? All right, we'll keep it, keep it moving then. Um, next up, I mentioned Purdue a little bit. I, I do want to talk about them. So why don't we go there first? Uh, they are now 11-1 and on the season. I believe they beat Incarnate Word by 20 points tonight. Ashton, I'm going to you first on this one. Uh, what's your take on Purdue, and what would you give them to make them just a little bit better this season? Uh, I, I would give them a three-man, swing-man that could really defend, can defend multiple positions in general. I think uh, Ron Harper Jr. kind of exposed that you know, position in in particular where, uh, you know, he was able to get what he wanted, not only inside, but outside. And, you know, I don't think Purdue had an answer for him defensively. Um, That's, that's basically, that's basically it. I I really like their team from top to bottom. Zach Eady, Jaden Ivey's box office. Um, I just think they need, you know, a three man, a swing man that can really guard multiple positions, especially, um, when you have big time wing scores like a Ron Harper Jr. Yeah, Steve, where are you at? It's another team. It's hard to kind of pick them apart a little bit because uh, it's a Ron. You know, number one, let make Ron Harper make that shot two out of three times for it to count. You know, you could say that. But when you when you look at their offensive numbers, you know, forty one from three, seventy five from the free throw line, fifty two from the field, and almost twenty assists. You know just for them to say, can they, can they stay consistent with that? Can they keep those offensive numbers? Because you know Matt Painter's teams are going to be tough. You know they're going to defend. You know they're going to compete. Um, if they can keep those offensive numbers throughout the Big Ten play, then they will They will win the Big Ten. I know we, we talked about that last week. You know, point guard play, you know, you'll, you'll always kind of say something about, you know, from that situation. But when you look at the numbers when by committee by the two point guards, 
it's not bad, you know, when you look at assist to turnover ratio from that standpoint. But Eric Hunter, if you had to kind of pinpoint one thing, a wild card, Eric Hunter, his numbers are down from last year. He's got experience, been in the program. Can he can he finish the season strong January, February, March and help them make a big run to a national championship game? Yeah, I, I think there's two things for me. One is is uh, being great defensively. Uh, if you ask Matt, Matt Painter, he will say we're not very good defensively because I asked him that at the Hall of Fame Classic and he said we're not very good defensively. So I think that that's one place they can really uh, seem to improve. The other one is their ability to handle teams that are going to pressure on the perimeter. I think why they struggled against NC State and Rutgers is that their their point guards are not uh, Get are by. Not great. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not going to blow by anyone. So if you can force yep. them – so much of what they do offensively is like they're going to run a set that'll scheme them into getting a post up for Zachy. And if you make them start that 40 feet away from the rim instead of 22 feet away from the rim, then all of a sudden Zachy's getting post touches like halfway up the, the lane instead of getting his post touch right in front of the rim where he can just turn and, and dunk it on you. So to me, those are the two big things um, for Purdue. The other one, I, someone said this to me the other day that the, the, the most important player on that team is Sasha Stefanovich and finding a way to keep him going because if you look at their best teams whether it was someone like a Dakota Mathias or who was the uh the, the um his brother's the tight end for the Bengals why am I blanking on his name Eifert Grady yeah like they just have these guys that don't miss that make the right pass that are just great at, at entry passes to some of the big guys in the post and to get Sasha back to the point where he's like going for 18 and 6 I think he had 23 and 8 in the win over Villanova getting him going again does that make sense? That was, that one was a little weird to me. Of all the guys, yeah, I, 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 I think that's huge. I think that's huge. Like you touched touchdown. We played them in the tournament in 2017, and Dakota Mathias. They had a couple guys like that. That man are so integral into what they're doing. Such a big, big piece, especially the way they want to throw that ball inside. And then, but the other big thing with I think with them is their chemistry has been so good to this point. Is really and, and Matt's done a phenomenal job with that and. Guys like Williams has really submitted himself to what's what's best for everybody. Uh, can they continue like that? Because if they can do that and touch up on these other things, they got a chance to have a special year. Yep. All right. So uh, the next team that we're going to hit on here is uh, is Villanova. So I know Ashton, you are technically an ACC guy um, by association at this point right now. Uh, but in your heart of hearts, I know that you are a Big East guy. Uh, so we're going to go to you first and foremost. Um, about Villanova, what would you do? What would you give them? How can you change them? How can you make this program great again? Um, so keeping keeping guys in front uh, defensively, I think one-on-one, uh, they get driven by left and right, honestly, uh, on, on the defensive end. And then – offensively just shooting the ball. I actually think they miss a guy like Cole Swider who isn't shooting well right now, actually uh, for Syracuse only shooting 29% from three, but uh, they need a knockdown shooter. They need more knockdown shooters. I don't think they're shooting it well enough. And it's kind of crazy because they don't turn the ball over at all. They make good decisions. They take care of the ball. Yeah. they, they, They don't turn the ball over at all. It's just, you got to make shots. You got to, you got to, got to find a way to make shots. That's, that, that's huge for them right now. I think. Yeah. I, I had that circled, man, the, the, the field goal percentage. And it's not from the three point line. It's from the twos. I mean, they're 41% uh, 
you know, field goal percentage. You know, that's that's got to be in that upper 40 range. You know, some of these elite teams, you look at Purdue and getting some of those, they're like 50. Arizona, you know, they're in the almost high 40s, low 50s. Um, but I think when you, you know, somebody jokingly said, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, bring him back. I said, that, that'd, be, that'd be a hell of a gift. Um, but somebody sent me this stat tonight. Their numbers individually and team are very, very close to where they were this time last year. And when you look at Villanova's schedule and who they've played, you know, they put themselves on a national stage, Baylor, UCLA. Um, obviously, they've already started Big East play with a game at Creighton. And then I'm missing one of their other games they played that they got beat because they're seven and four. Yeah, it was it was uh, UCLA in overtime on the road, Purdue on a neutral at uh, Purdue, the- Purdue. Okay, at Baylor at Creighton. So, man, I, I think man, what they need is just staying a course, be even keel, and continue to do what Jay Wright's done his whole career. You know, uh, just stay the course, do what they do, and. Man, they get into this Big East fold. They understand those teams, how to play, and they'll figure themselves out. Uh, obviously, the Xavier game being at home, if they want a chance to win the league after getting beat at by Creighton, they got to take care of business against Xavier, though. Yeah, that is a huge, huge game in the Big East tomorrow, a chance for Xavier to kind of assert their dominance. Uh, some people think they might be the best team in the conference at this point. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I don't know that it's not true either. So it'll be very interesting to see what Xavier can do. I think the biggest thing for me with Villanova is they don't really have a guy that can go out and win his matchup every single time down the floor, right? Like they don't have that uh, Jalen Brunson. They don't have that Mikhail Bridges. They don't have that Ryan Archie Diakono. Like they, they have a lot of guys that would be great as the second or third option on a really good team. I just don't know if they have that superstar, which, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl by the end of last season, he kind of was. So that's, that's just my biggest thing with them is, is so much of what they do is uh, like the read and react stuff where you get one person to get that paint touch and they come to that jump stop and they pivot around and you kick it out. You draw two, drive, draw two, drive, draw two. All, all of a sudden you got a wide open three. They don't really have that first guy that can kind of get in the lane and create the uh, put defenses into rotation. If that makes sense. So. Um, is it, it's actually crazy because, you know, Javon Quinterly was there and ended up transferring to Alabama. And now, you know, you see how effective, like, he's been in the open system where he can literally get in the lane at will. But imagine him with that Villanova squad right now. I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah, I, Alabama's just such a better fit for him, though. Like, I'm glad that he kind of found – he, he's a good kid that needed a chance to kind of find happiness after three pretty uh, pretty tough years to start out his college basketball career, which, Ashton, that was a perfect segue into the next team that we're going to go into. You should be hosting the show at some point, man. Um, <laughs> Alabama, they, uh, they're coming off of they, – they lost to – who did they lose to? They lost to uh, – uh, okay, Memphis, Memphis. Memphis. Memphis, yeah. They got, they got, they got their, uh, the, their brains kind of beaten a little bit by Memphis. They have a loss to Iona, but they also have a really nice win over Houston, and they ran Gonzaga out of, uh, out of I guess it was Key Arena, whatever Key Arena is now called in Seattle. So, Steve, what are you going to give um, Alabama at this point if you can gift them something? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, just Point guard like Steve Prohm back in the day? Is that what it's going to be? No, they're good with Quinterly. They're good with Quinterly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they go with Quinterly and Shackelford and Davison. Um, 
I would say the NBA, man, for them to adopt the NBA three-second rule and keep all these defensive teams, you know, out of the lane and, and, and being able to have them spread out so they'd have a harder time guarding their ball screen offense. But I think the biggest thing, uh, Davison to continue to mature, because I, you know, when I went down there and watched them play, he was, I thought he's phenomenal. Uh, number two, when Shackelford, when people really put the clamps into Shackelford and make it hard on him for other guys to step up. But then the biggest thing I think is rebounding, 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 whether it's Belotko, whether it's Gurley, team rebound. They've got some size on the perimeter. Those guards like Ellis or Gary, you know, Miles, they got a team rebound. Um, so they don't get beat up on that glass. But like I said, I'm a big, big, big fan of Alabama there. They've, they've done a phenomenal job, but those are a couple of things. Yeah. What do you got, Ashton? I think team rebounding as well. Uh, definitely have one of those. Um, also within the half court, can they stay under control, making the right plays to get good shots? And then ultimately, um, making shots at a high clip. They, they're shooting 33% from three. Can they shoot a little higher? Because their guards get in the lane at will. You talk about Shackleford, uh, Quinterly. I feel like they'll converge the defense and pass out to open guys consistently. Can they knock down shots at a consistent clip? And um, just being consistent. I, I really like this Alabama team. I like their pace of play. And they know who they are, their identity. They, they literally know who they are. They push the pace. They want to pressure you. Um, obviously get, 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 get under control uh, in transition and uh, push the ball. But I think their identity is really what separates them from most um, going into each and every game. They know exactly what they want to do, get in the lane, find guys. And um, it, it's actually a fun bat. It's a fun game to watch. I, I love watching these guys play. Yeah. The, the thing that I had written down was just be better defensively, right? The thing, Everyone wants to talk about what Nate Oates uh, can do offensively and the way that he schemes stuff up and their system and blah, 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 blah. But last year, the best team that he's ever had, they were top three nationally in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. Uh, this year, they're 46th. To me, that's the difference. Part of it is the defensive rebounding. Um, I think part of it is forcing some more turnovers. I think part of it is just uh, as simple as getting a little bit of experience, right? Like Keon Ellis is still kind of a young player in terms of the experience he has in the SEC. Um, uh, J.D. Davidson is a freshman. Uh, Betty Aqua, I believe, is a freshman, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just double check yep. on that. Yeah, he's a freshman too. So uh, Darius Miles is – like they're, they're still they're, – they're kind of young um, at some important positions. So I think that there's still room for them to grow. They have plenty of athletes right they have plenty of guys that can go out there and make those plays it's just uh, a matter of um whether or not they can get to the point where they are you know the, there's a big difference between being a top 20 defense and a top 50 defense and i think if they can be like a top 20 25 defense with what they can do offensively and the firepower they have uh, that is a team that can get to the final four all right we got two more teams to get to uh steve i'm going to you first on this one because you are a big 12 guy kansas what's going on with them right now and how can and how can we get uh, David McCormick to be um, David McCormick from Big Twelve play last year? I think that's the biggest thing, right? Yeah, I had three things I wrote down, and, and number one, David McCormick. You know, he's averaging eight and a half and five. You know, if you're going to put a wish list, and he's got to double that. You know, we talked about Big Twelve when we did the Big Twelve preview. I said, man, sixteen and ten. That's got to be his goal. Can he get sixteen and ten? 
because you know Coach Self wants to establish the post. You know he wants to run the, through the post in big moments. Eight and a half and five, he's got to be better than that. And so really establishing that because of the depth up front. You know, they've got light foot, but everything else after that is 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 youth and young and, and, and not as, you know, the size of a guy like David McCormick. Number two, and it's going to take a little time and it's coming. Uh, I think one of their most talented guys, obviously Agbaji, he's got to maintain what he's doing. But Jalen Wilson, you know, he's averaging five and five, but he is a talent. And I think he is terrific. And I think he's got to, you know, they've got to get, if it's a Christmas wish list, to get him going and playing up to his capabilities. Because if he does that, he takes them to a whole nother level. And then the third thing is, it's just a consistent point guard play. You know, uh, Dewan Harris, you know, Harris obviously struggles from three, um, you know, but the one thing is when they had guys like, you know, Marcus Garrett, Marcus Garrett made big, tough shots. He always made winning plays. He could really compete defensively. But, you know, Remy and and and, and, and Harris, you know, figuring things out at the point guard position and being solid there for Coach Self. But number one, McCormick, though, all the way. And I think Wilson, too, if he comes on, Kansas is already good. But I think that takes him to another level. What do you got, Ashley? Uh, I agree in terms of the impactful post presence. Um, you know, every every Bill Self team, they, they can go inside and out. Um, they, he likes to throw the ball inside and really makes his really makes his present felt um, in terms of the post. Um, also, consistency and 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 scoring coming from the point guard position. Remy Martin in particular, um, and I, I say that only because he averaged nineteen last year. Um, at Arizona State, so um, I I look for him to take pressure off of Obaji. Um, he's the one guy that can, especially heading into you know this conference season, going in going into the NCAA tournament. He's just one of those guys. Late shot clock, um, you get late into the game, he can really control the game, but he can make shots off the bounce. And uh, you you talk about that post presence, and if, if you get. Remy Martin really creating and scoring at will like he's used to, like we're used to seeing him the last few years. Obviously, that's not particularly his, his role with them this year, but I think he can do it if need be. And uh, it, it'll take a lot of pressure off of Obaji heading to the, the latter part of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that you can just kind of give the ball to and say, all right, go get us a shot, right? Like, I don't know if you can necessarily do that with Obaji. Um, if McCormick isn't effective, like you can't really do that with him. So, but I, to me, the obvious answer is just figuring out what you're doing at the five spot. It's either uh, fit, like get, get David McCormick, right. Or find a way to make Jalen Wilson be effective as a small ball five. One of those two things has to happen. Um, and they're not happening right now. So I think that's how you get Kansas to the next level. All right, let's wrap it up. We got Duke coming up now. Um, for my money, they are still right there as as maybe the best team in college basketball. I think that they have maybe the best player in college basketball in Paolo Bancaro. Ashton, I'm going to you first on this one. If you can get them one thing for Christmas, what would it be? Uh, I got a veteran point guard. I like Jeremy Roach, but um, a veteran point guard that can really um, score the ball. Obviously, I'm a little biased as a scoring guard, but I just think someone that um, can really – you know, hold the fort down under under Coach K, um, really control the pace. I just think those are unprecedented, especially as you head into the, the, the later parts of the season 
and you know Paulo Bencaro and the guys like that like they're they're big time for sure I just think you need somebody that can really control the pace of the game uh especially late shot clock really trying to get good good shots good decisions um but a veteran point guard would doing well I think what do you got Steve I think healthy AJ Griffin I think that will help uh I think number two Theo John you know, stepping up uh, to give Mark Williams a little bit of a breather at times and being consistent. But I think for a young team, as talented as they are, and this being Coach K's final year, as this thing stretches on into January, late January, February, there's going to be so much more talk about that. And, and the last game here and the last game in, in the Dean Dome to really keep these guys focused on what's important. And I think Coach K will be the first one to say that is to those kids is, hey, it's about you. And let's focus on you and getting you guys better. But I think that a big key too. Yeah, I had I had AJ Griffin written down. Um, I think that he, if he gets to the point where he can play twenty five or thirty minutes a game, and you're going to roll out there, Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, AJ Griffin, Paolo Bancaro, and Mark Williams. All of a sudden, you have a ridiculous amount of length and athleticism, and guys that can make shots that are that are right now able to to space the floor a little bit. I think that's a big one. I think the call of, of focus is is really i didn't even think about that i think it's a big one but the obvious answer here guys is finding a way to get paolo bancaro some kind of like wearable iv that he can put on during a game or something where uh we just get him like he has an endless supply of bananas and gatorade on the bench for a game because we got to find a way to get this guy to stop cramping during big games right like that that's got you're, you're at duke you have one of the best medical schools in the on the planet Right. You got to find a way to get your star player to stop having to come out for the second half because he keeps cramping up. Like, what, what is that? How do we how do we fix that? Is there an answer? Ashton may know that better than me. Nah. <laughs> Bananas and Gatorades, I guess. And people do <laughs> they said back in the day. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, but Clement, yeah. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I never had that. Honestly, I, I'm not sure. In all seriousness, though, I, I think that um, Baylor and Arizona are probably the two most complete teams in college basketball right now. But I don't think Duke is really all that far off um, in ter- because I think that they can be elite defensively. I think that with the way Wendell Moore is playing, um, I'm a little less concerned about like just not having a pure point guard because, I mean, Wendell Moore is averaging 17, 6 and 6 right now. And shooting like 40-something percent from three. Like, he went from being a guy that we thought was kind of a bust to being like, uh, yeah, he's he might be a first-team All-American at this point in the season. Paolo can play off the bounce and pass a little bit. Trevor Keels can play off the bounce and pass a little bit. So I do think there are some options there where if, if Jeremy Roach isn't great. But, that I mean, that's a very, very good team. If, if you were to force me right now to pick the top three teams in college basketball, I think it would be Baylor, then Arizona, and then Duke. That's kind of where I'm standing at this point. I can agree with that, to be honest. Um, I, I really like I, I think Mark Williams is is huge, just changing the shots around the basket. Um, like I was saying, I, I I don't love Trevor Keels as a you know backup point guard in general. I just think Jeremy Roach, really good guard. Um, I just think overall, if something happens in terms of health, foul trouble, like who, who are they going to um, as the next guard up? So uh, backup center for sure. But I think uh, a veteran point guard would would really do them more. 
the backup. They get, send Jay Williams down there. Jay will go down there. No, right? <laughs> he can still play a little bit. Well, listen, guys, this has been fun. We've already gone over an hour. I thought that we were going to get out of here early. And, of course, uh, the three of us ended up rambling on for more than an hour, which kind of makes sense. It's very on brand for this uh, this crew. So this has been the Field of 68 After Dark uh, for Steve Prohm, for Ashton Gibbs, for our sponsors, Bet River Sportsbook. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Rob Doster. This was fun. See you guys again tomorrow night at 11. See you guys.